Let's pray together this morning before we uh, come together. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for our time that you are giving to us right now. Thank you that you are here with us. May we be sensitive to your spirit as you lead us, as you speak to us. Use your word. I pray that as I share this morning, I pray that you would give me the ability to communicate clearly. I pray that what I share would only be in agreement with your word. And may it be given by your spirit's power. We love you. We ask your blessing on our time now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like to begin by asking you if you know how old Kingwood Bible Church is. Does anyone know how old Kingwood Bible Church is? I said that we had a birthday yesterday for Kelsey, but churches kind of have birthdays too. Does anyone know? What, what, what's that, Amy? 80? Yes, really, really close to that, just under 80. Does anyone know the exact date? 78. Oh, did someone else say that? 78. Now, I mean, if, if all my research is, is correct, because I've only been here for a year, but if all my research is correct, we are 78 years old. This fall marks our 78th birthday. All right? So happy birthday to our church. We are all, we are all part of that. Yes. Okay, well, um, 1939. So, okay, so then that would be, that would be 79. So, okay. Um, all I did was, I'll be honest, I just went online to our website. <laughs> so our website needs to be updated. It said 1940. And I have a booklet that Yvonne gave me, and it said 1940. But So around that time is about, you know what? We're going to have to have some agreement on this, aren't we? Because we're going to have an 80th, and we're going to have to figure out, well, are we 80 or are we 81? Or are we 79 or are we 80? So we've got some work to get done, all right? But we're going to get it done, all right? Um, we, we, are, we are Kingwood Bible Church. And there was a group of people who had this sense of... We need to gather together, and we need to bring the gospel to West Salem. That was their desire. And actually, interestingly enough, it was, it was people who were connected with Dallas, all right? And they said, there, there's enough of us that are living here in West Salem. We need to do a work here. And so Kingwood Bible Church was born. I love it because according to our website, all right, <laughs> according to our website, in 1941, is when people got busy building the very first sanctuary, which is right back there. This is the ex- ex- expansion, okay? This was more like 64 or 65. But back there, it was, that was the initial sanctuary. I love it because there was a sense of urgency. There was a sense of, let's move. Let's do something. And, and they moved. They, they began building. And, and our sanctuary was constructed. That's, a, that's amazing. Now, does anyone know the name of our church back then? Because it wasn't Kingwood Bible Church. Yes, Pat. Yes, it was, yes, West Salem Mennonite Brethren Church. All right. So um, that name changed in 1951. Again, according to our website. (laughs) I'll have fun with that this morning. All right. So in 1951, the name of our church changed. Now, 
I don't know how things went because I wasn't alive and I wasn't part of this denomination. So, but I can only imagine that when you make a change like that, let's change the name. Don't you think people are people? Wouldn't there have been some people saying, we can't do that. We can't change the name. We can't take Mennonite brethren out of our, out of our name. We can't be Kingwood Bible Church. And yet there was a desire, let's move forward. And there was this desire, this church is going to be called Kingwood Bible Church. Why Kingwood Bible Church? Kingwood because it reflects the neighborhood. This is a church for this neighborhood. Kingwood, all right? Which, which really has become, since I've been here, I only know it as Edgewater District, okay? But it's okay. We're not going to change our name, all right? We're Kingwood Bible Church because I love talking with people in the community. Oh, Kingwood, I know that church. That's a church that I walk by and I see. They know Kingwood, all right? Bible, the Bible, Scripture. It's our foundation. We go to Scripture to give us direction. Church, the gathering, the called out. Those of us who are the body of Christ, believers, collectively together, it's who we are. We are still very much affiliated with the Mennonite brethren. Did you know that? That might be new for you. Now, if you hear Mennonite brethren, don't let that scare you, okay? Don't let that scare you at all. Um, I am new to the Mennonite brethren. Um, I, I, I was not Mennonite brethren before. I am Mennonite brethren now, okay? That's what I am. I've been it for a year, okay? Um, I have only been so encouraged by those I have been with in the Mennonite Brethren denomination. I, I have loved being part of this fellowship. They are, they are good, solid people. Now, just quick history lesson, okay? Because when we hear Mennonites, sometimes we think, what is that? We, we don't know. We, we may not fully know what that is. So back around the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, I believe and assume because people were really encouraged that you can read the word of God on your own. You can read the word for yourself. There was a group of believers that became convinced that baptism is for the believer. And it's not something that we just do for an infant. But that was something that went contrary to what the church was teaching. And so this group of people that said, I've been baptized, but I was baptized as an infant. I have never been baptized as as a believer based on my profession of faith in Jesus, asking him to forgive my sin. Because that, they said, we want to be rebaptized. And these people became known as the Anabaptist. And it is the Anabaptist movement that really the Mennonite brethren strongly stems out of. Not only baptism, not only was baptism a major issue here, but also allegiance to God over allegiance to government. Meaning, when the government contradicts what God says, we're going to go with God. And this is what brought about persecution. Persecution often to the point of death. And when I say death, I mean gruesome death. It really was. Which caused people 
I would say in many ways, our ancestors to, to really flee. And they actually found refuge in Holland and other places too, but Holland. And it was in Holland that a group, this Anabaptist group, really became known as Mennonites. And eventually, speeding up here, I'm actually going to skip over quite a bit. Eventually, this group of Mennonite, and there was a branch eventually that became known as the Mennonite Brethren, which is what we are part of. Eventually, the very first Mennonite Brethren came over here and landed in the U.S. in, in 1874. And since then, our denomination has taken off. We are a small denomination, but I really believe that we are a denomination that is doing a lot of great work. We have 21 conferences within the Mennonite Brethren. The United States is one of those conferences. We are all around the world. We're all around the world. Um, Today, you're going to have an opportunity uh, to, going to give this to you if you'd like. Um, It's called the seven-day generosity challenge, which is where I'm going to be going this morning. But there are seven various uh, authors in this, Philippines, India, Australia, all, all over. Dennis Fast from the U.S., I met him last May, he wrote in here, he wrote day number seven, great, great man. Um, the Mennonite Brethren have 300,000 uh, believers or people who are, who are part of our denomination all around the world. There are 200 churches in the U.S., Last May, I put some pictures here. Uh, Last May, we were privileged to, my wife and I were privileged to go. Our our denomination sent us down to California to go and be part of a conference, a pastor and spouse retreat. This actually really ties in with where I'm going today. Um, We were given a scholarship. And Gary Wall, who is my pastor who spoke here a few weeks ago in my absence. He lives down in Fresno. And I contacted Gary. The elder said, would you contact Gary and see if Gary would come and, and just speak? And, and so I contacted him and said, Gary, are you able to come? And he said, count me in. I'll be there. So he flew up here to speak. Uh, but Gary is the one that came to me and said, Nathan, you and Kelsey need to go to this, conference, to this retreat. You need to be here. You are new. You need to be here. And I said, Gary, we are a smaller church. We don't have the funds. We haven't, we haven't earmarked this at all. Uh, there, there's nothing in the budget for this. And he said, can you come up with anything? <laughs> and he said, we will, we will give you a scholarship. They were extremely generous and they paid for a good portion of our retreat. Excellent time just to, to be fed the word, to have um, people. This is the man who, who spoke to us um, for the couple days that we were down there. I especially loved, this is Dr. Joe um, and his wife. Uh, I believe it's a vet if I'm thinking correctly, uh, who spoke or who were there with us. We enjoy just interacting with them. Um, they've been here before. They were here last November. They will be coming through again sometime soon. They love the connections here with this body of believers, but they are part of our denomination. Uh, he is the president of Fresno Pacific University down there, new president. And it's, I really enjoy uh, talking with, with this gentleman here. And then... I really enjoyed just the time to be down there and to meet other people 
who are in the ministry. And this would be the pastor and wife. This is James and Marcy. And Bill and Jeanette recognize this couple. We were praying that God would provide someone who we could connect with, who is maybe a little bit further down the road than us, but also who can just relate to us, um, who would understand what it's like to be a pastor, understand what it's like to be the spouse of a pastor. And God provided James and Marcy, and they were the answer to our prayer that God has provided. And I've enjoyed staying in touch with them. They live down in the Fresno area. Great couple. So why do I share all of these things this morning? Well, I share this for a couple reasons. One, really, I want you to know that we are part of something much greater than ourselves. This is part of our, this is our heritage. This is part of our, our church's heritage. And this is really part of our denomination. There is, there is much work that God is doing through our, through our fellow, through, through our sister churches. The second reason why I am bringing this to your attention today is because a few months ago, um, early summer, Dennis Fast contacted me up here and he said, Nathan, um, and I met Dennis last May, he said, um, Nathan, would you be willing to spend one week with your church body teaching on a given topic that all of those in the Mennonite Brethren are going to focus on? And not knowing exactly what the topic would be, but knowing who Dennis is, I said, Dennis, count Kingwood Bible Church in. So today, we're going to talk about this generosity challenge and this booklet here that I'm going to make available to you, um, or that our denomination is making available to us. It's their gift to our our body. But I said, I would be willing to, to preach this message. Um, this is a message that they provided for me. So this morning, it is not so much my words, but it is really someone else who has put this together. And um, yet I've been thinking about this and praying about this. And, and can I just be honest? When I, when I come to something like this, Kelsey's very first words when, when she heard that I was speaking about the generosity challenge, she said, is this a guilt trip on tithing? <laughs> And I said, I hope not. <laughs> because as a pastor, I don't want to do that. And then I, I was even, part of me was honestly, really even struggling with the more because I thought, Lord, the Sunday that I'm going to do this is our business meeting. We're talking about money, finances. And I, I thought, this is not intended to be a guilt trip. That, that's not where my heart is coming from. And, and Kelsey said, Nathan, oh, tread carefully. Just tread carefully. <laughs> I'm going to do that. And I really hope that what you hear is, is really not, even though we're talking about money. By the way, Jesus did not shy away from this topic. Jesus spoke about this topic often. He spoke about this topic often. And so my challenge to you is the same challenge I give to myself. Can we just ask the Lord to search our heart and to think, am I a generous person? How can I grow in my generosity? How can God use me, my gifting, my ability, my time, my money, my finances? How can he use me to be more generous? 
And if we are honest, and I must be first and foremost, I am stingy. That's just how I am. It's just how I am. I am by nature. I'm stingy. My wife isn't. That's why we work well together. Usually we work well together. <laughs> I am, I'm the stingy one. She's the one that is the generous one. It's how we work. And, and God, God can use that in good ways. But I, I've had to think this last week. How can God work in and through me to grow my generosity in God? This is the message I have, but God, by your spirit, you can speak to my heart and you can talk to me and you can talk to each of you. And, and he is the one that can bring about the conviction that, that we need. So um, let's, let's begin. I brought a $20 bill along this morning. <laughs> had to make sure I had one. I was going to put it in my wallet, but I thought that will take a little bit to, too long to get out. I was um, looking at it last night. You ever feel bad for looking at money? Like, oh, I shouldn't even be looking at this necessarily or staring at it so long. I was looking at it, trying to think about this. I was like, because in the notes they said, just talk about the $20 bill for a little bit. (laughs) Okay, I can talk about it for a little bit. So President Andrew Jackson is on this. And then I was holding it up to light. And then I, I was seeing, oh, President Andrew Jackson is actually also here on the right-hand side. And if you flip it over, you can see that too. Um, there's the White House on this, on this bill. But then also as I was looking at it, and what I was reminded of this last week is the words that are still printed on our currency. In God we trust. In God we trust. Is that true? And... and not going on a national level here. Is that true for me? That God, I really trust in you? Or is it God, what used to be called the almighty dollar, which what can you get for a dollar today? A few things at Dollar Tree. I was down there yesterday buying a few things for the party. All right, some streamers and stuff like that. What can you get for a dollar? But the almighty, the almighty dollar, is it in money I trust, in people I trust, in my ability to be conniving, in my ability to manipulate, and that is which I trust. We don't say that. But is it really God and God who we trust? Our culture. Our culture is one that has only grown in greed. We have become so much, bring it, and may I keep it. And once I have it, I really don't want to share it. I really want it to be mine. I I have not finished this book yet. I'm going to finish it this week, and I really challenge you to, but I was really... The very first thing that I was really struck with was day number one, where it just talks about a mindset shift. Everything that I have, if I'm a believer in Jesus, it is not mine. It belongs to God. Everything is his. Everything that I have belongs to him. 
I am just the one who signs the check. But the check doesn't belong to me. The bank account doesn't belong to me. But I'm the one that puts my name. God, you can use this money for this purpose. Here you go. Time magazine published a year ago in July of 2017 that they have been doing some research and studies show that that neuroscientists have discovered that people who are generous are more happy. People who have a, a sense of being more, excuse me, more generous tend to be happier. They actually did some MRIs and they were studying the brain and how the brain is responding to generosity. And they found that as we are more generous, we, are, we grow in happiness. And interestingly enough, it had nothing to do with the amount that's given. It wasn't like, well, if you give $1,000 versus $10, you're going to be happier. No, it was people who are generous with, with their money, regardless of the amount There is a connection to our ability to be happy. Now, I don't believe that God's ultimate pursuit in our life is happiness, but I find it ironic that that our culture is finding that generosity is something that we as people ought to be. This should not surprise us because this is nothing that is new. This isn't something that all of a sudden, well, in 2017, we know this. These are things that really we find in Scripture. And we find this from the Gospels. We find this in the life of Jesus. Jesus himself said in Luke 12, verse 15, Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Guard against greed. Why? He said, because a life does not consist in the, in the abundance of your possessions. Your life is not about what you own. My life is not about what I own. Life is not about our possessions. It is not what we have. It is not about what we don't have. That's not what life is about, Jesus is saying. And he's saying, you and I need to be on guard. Which tells us, if we are not on guard, we can be caught off guard and we can give in to greed. That is the tendency that we are going to move towards. Jesus also told us in Matthew 6, 21, he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or you could say, where your treasure is, there your trust is also. Whatever you treasure You are going to put your trust there. So, do we treasure our possessions? So much that our trust is actually in what we own. Actually in what we have. Actually in what the bank account says. Jesus says, be on guard. We've got to be on guard. If generosity is something that is good, if our culture, if if our society understands, if Time Magazine is saying, I get this, if Jesus is saying that generosity is something that is good, then why does it come so hard? 
Well, this morning, what I'm going to share is three potential lies that we have listened to and believed. Lie number one, generosity is a one-time event. Maybe the reason why we have a hard time with generosity is because we actually believe that generosity is a one-time event. You do this once, and once you've done it, you can check, I did it, and I'm done. And I'm done until next year, a couple years later, whenever God convicts me again of being generous. Then I'll do it again. But I'm done. That's a lie. Jesus defined generosity. Generosity was in his nature. It was fully who he was. It wasn't something that he chose to put on all of a sudden, and I'm going to go and be generous now. No, Jesus was generous. He always was generous. He lived a life of generosity. It was the people he spent his time with. It was who he healed. It was who he taught. Jesus was often giving his time to those in society who were oftentimes neglected. Jesus lived a life of generosity. I like that reminder because that goes beyond finances. That goes beyond the pocketbook. Jesus lived a life of generosity based on who he was with. If you have your Bibles, take them and and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, I want to look at verses 13 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the rack in front of you. You're welcome to follow along there. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. It says this, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. And he began to teach them. Make sure I'm at the right spot. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and, quote, sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick. I have not come to call the righteous. I have come to call sinners. Jesus lived a life of generosity. The people he interacted with. He was generous in his time. He was generous in those people that he was with. And oftentimes the people who he spent his time with were the people that society really neglected. It was the fringe of society. It was the people that, I don't want to be with that person. They make me feel uncomfortable. And yet Jesus spent his time with them. He moved in generosity. It was the life that Jesus lived. If we are to be generous people, it's not going to be just simply a one-time, well, I did it. It really is a life of generosity. 
that we are called to. It's something that I desire to grow in because by nature, I am not. So God, how can you make me more generous? I think a lot of it for me is having a mental, just a paradigm shift. That what I have isn't mine anyways. Belongs to God. And God can bless other people through me. But God has also given me the ability to say, no, I will not bless. No, this is mine. No, I do not want to release my possessions. I do not want to share my time. Line number two. Generosity is determined by how much you have. Again, it's a lie. Believing that, well, if you have more, if you are wealthy, well, then you can be generous. It's only the wealthy people. It's those people who have a lot of money. They're the ones who are called to a life of generosity. I don't have a lot of money, so I'm not called to generosity. I'm off the hook. That, that's, that's a lie that many of us have perhaps believed. Well, the wealthy people can be generous. Jesus makes no distinction between rich and poor when modeling a life of generosity. He made no distinction in the Gospels about this. Again, generosity is a way of life that Jesus wanted to convey to all of us regardless of what the pocketbook said we had in it, what we have in it. Acts, turn over really quick, just one verse, but Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Acts 20, verse 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. These are words that we don't have um, listed elsewhere, but this is something that we are reminded of. This is something that Jesus said. These are the words of Jesus. It is more blessed if you give than to receive. Last week, I saw Mike on Friday. We meet every Friday. And Mike knew that I was planning a surprise for my wife for this weekend. And, and um, when Mike left, I told him, Mike, he, was, he said, how's it going? How are things kind of coming along here? And um, I said, I'm having fun with this. Because I was actually reminded that, that I haven't necessarily been extremely generous in a while. And I've been actually convicted of this this last week because I've been working through this. And then also thinking about my wife. And I asked my wife, I said, for your birthday, do you want a big celebration with a lot of people? She said, no, that would be exhausting I want it small. I want it intimate. I want just a few people. And, and so, but I was, I was planning and conniving and trying to, to pull this off. And I was reminded of really kind of going back to those days when we were dating. 
And I remember how fun and almost giddy I would get when I was like trying to pull off something because I was dating her and wanting her to fall in love with me, trying to convince her, Kelsey, you should love me. You can't do that with a person. But just trying to like, like, I love this woman. I want her to love me. And, and I was just reminded of, of doing those things. And I was doing that again. And I was reminded of really these words that I told Mike. Mike, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I told Kelsey this last week. We were out on a walk and a jog kind of in our neighborhood. I was like, Kelsey, I can't tell you what I'm doing. But it's so much fun. It's so much fun to do this. It's so much fun to give. To plan these things. It's more blessed to give than to receive. This has nothing to do with how much you have. Regardless of what you have, we are all able to live a life of generosity. I believe that the Lord calls us. I believe that he's patient with us. He calls us to greater generosity. A third lie, generosity is determined by how much you give. It's similar to the last one, but one is based on what you have. This one is based on how much you give. I asked Kelsey, I had her look through these notes a bit, and I said, Kelsey, can you look over these notes? And um, I said, do you think these two are too similar? She's like, well, no, they are a little bit different because one is all based on this is how much I have, so it determines whether or not I can be generous. But this is based on how much I'm actually giving. And we think that the amount is going to matter. How much I actually give. Take your Bible again. Turn back to the gospel writer writer Luke. Luke 21. Luke chapter 21. If you uh, grew up in church, and this is probably a familiar passage, but let's look at it. Luke 21 Verses 1 through 4. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. And I can only imagine how they would have been doing that. And Jesus even talked about how they were doing that at times. Bringing attention to themselves. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. She, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus said, this lady has given more. Why? Not because she had so much. But because that which she had, she was willing to generously give. And she serves as an example to us, even 2,000 years later, looking back to this, this old, poor widow. We're saying, wow, that is a lady to be like. That is a lady to emulate. She gave out of her poverty, not because she had so much. What about for you? Are you a generous person? You know, it seems like money is always a hard thing to talk about. But 
it seems like when, I, when Kelsey and I have done premarital counseling, we have oftentimes told those that were, the couples that we're meeting with, we've often told them, more than likely one of you is a giver. And more than likely one of you is a saver. And this can be beautiful. Or it can be a source of a lot of tension. It really can. Where are you on the spectrum of, are you a giver or a saver? And if we're honest, as I I want to be with you, is there a part of you that might be a little bit even stingy? I trust that God will move in your heart as he should. There's all sorts of things I think about when I think about topics like this. I trust that God will lead us. I'm not calling you to, I'm not asking you to go be foolish or to just, well, I just got to give it all away. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to simply listen to the Spirit and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you because he will and he does. And if he is one that would say, this is something that you need to listen to, I'm calling you to greater generosity. Or maybe the opposite end of the spectrum would be the case. And you would say, I love being generous. I'm always giving. And you know what? It's getting me in trouble. And that could be true then allow this generosity challenge to speak to you, to say, you know what? You are called to greater wisdom with your finances so that you are able to be generous because you're always giving, but you need to keep this in check. You need to keep this in balance. The Spirit of God can speak to you. The Spirit of God will speak to you here. I trust that you will be moved to generosity and you will listen as God leads you.